Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Thursday, February 25th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Shares in GameStop rallied hard just before the bell yesterday. Kevin Sneeder is out as the head of McKinsey, and Myanmar bank workers walk off the job to protest the military coup. Plus, Texas is still recovering from the electricity crisis during last week's cold snap. Conservatives have pointed fingers at renewable energy, but we'll hear from climatologist Michael Mann, who says they're off target. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. GameStop shares made a return to the spotlight yesterday. Stock in the struggling video game retailer doubled in heavy volume in the final hour and a half of trading on Wednesday, closing at nearly $92. GameStop is probably the best known of the meme stocks that are popular among amateurs or individual traders who congregate on the social media site Reddit. Another meme stock that did well yesterday? Movie theater chain AMC. It was up more than 20% after the bell. The sharp jumps echo what we saw in January when retail traders short-squeezed GameStop shares and burned hedge funds that had been betting against the company. All this capped a day where U.S. equities made gains after reassuring comments from Federal Reserve Chairman Jay Powell, which had helped stop a slide in tech stocks, with the Nasdaq Composite closing up 1%. The S&P 500 closed up about the same. In an unexpected move, partners at the world's leading management consultancy, McKinsey, voted to replace their boss, Kevin Sneeder. The firm's been weathering a lot of crises lately. Most recently, McKinsey paid out nearly $600 million for its role in fueling the opioid crisis, with it not admitting wrongdoing or liability as part of the settlement. The FT's U.S. business editor, Andrew Edgecliff-Johnson, has been reporting on McKinsey's change at the top. Edge... Last time we spoke, it seemed like Sneeder was going to stick around. What changed? Yeah, when we were reporting this a few days ago and broke the news that this election was happening, most of the people we spoke to said, you know, most managing partners of McKinsey get a second term. Many of them have had a third or fourth term. It's actually not happened since 1976 that you've had a one-term managing partner as Sneeder now becomes. So this is a very rare event. And what seems to have happened is that he essentially split the vote between people who thought that his reforms to try and get on top of all of these reputational crises went too far, and people who thought that they didn't go far enough. So what happens now? Who's in line to replace Nieder? So the initial slate of 10 candidates has narrowed down to two, Bob Sternfels from San Francisco and Sven Smit from Amsterdam, with quite different resumes. Neither of them are the kind of young Turks. They've both been around at McKinsey a long time. They've both been part of the decision-making at the top of McKinsey through the last three three years. So they're not seen as a radical break with the past. And that's going to be quite an interesting circle for McKinsey to have to square because there is still a lot of pressure out there for McKinsey to prove to the outside world that it's really taken these crises seriously, that it's cleaning up its act, that it's bringing in a lot more control to what it's very independent partners like to do around the world. But at the same time, the partners enjoy their independence, and many of them have bridled against some of the strictures that Kevin Sneeder put in. And so there's going to be a very difficult task awaiting the next managing partner of McKinsey, whoever that is. Andrew Edgecliff-Johnson is the FT's U.S. business editor. Thank you, Edge. Thank you, Mark. In Myanmar this week, 
Local media said that more than a million people turned out for the ongoing protests against the recent military overthrow of Aung San Suu Kyi's elected government. The protests have brought much of the country to a near standstill, including the banking system, as employees have joined the protests. The FT Southeast Asia correspondent John Reed says banks are in a pretty tough spot here. Banks are, you know, trying to keep cash in their ATMs, keep their electronic transactions going. But even there, they're contending with staff shortages. It's also worth noting that the, I mean, effective strikes at banks are putting the bank shareholders and the banks themselves in an awkward position, right? Because if they stay open, they get targeted online by social media activists um, for being seen to collaborate with the regime. But if they close, they end up screwing up the economy and making the country that much more ungovernable. Broadly speaking, it's likely to come to a head at the end of the month when companies have to start making salary payments to their employees. So is the slowdown of the banking system affecting the wealth of the military generals who, who actually staged the coup? That's a good question. The military junta did order two military-owned banks that they have the biggest sway over, Miyawadi and Inwa Bank, to remain open. So workers there were not allowed to strike. So to the extent that military men have assets there, they're probably fine. The military do, as the human rights campaigners in the UN have been pointing out for a few years now, have a lot of money stashed overseas. Since the coup, we've seen a few countries, including the US, the UK, and Canada, impose new sanctions on the military men's assets and companies that they have investments in. But it's worth keeping in mind, this is not a new story. The top generals have been contending with sanctions, at least from the US side, since after the crackdown on Rohingya Muslims in Rakhine State in 2017. So I'm curious, John, do you think that these widespread protests and the effect on banks in particular can make any difference in the general's ability to hold their grip on power? I think it actually could. One thing that's worth noting is that when the commander-in-chief, Min Aung Klang, seized power, his first comments, his first speech after the coup, he spoke about the economy. And I think he may have actually used those words, business as usual, of keeping companies and, and the economy going as normal. In the, you know, the month, almost a month since then, um, things have been anything but normal in Myanmar. And the banks are a very clear symptom of that. I think it'll definitely um, impact their ability to govern if people are feeling, you know, economic pain. This could play out you know, one of two ways. It could make people less likely to take part in protests if they're suffering economically. On the other hand, it could make them that much angrier at the generals, more desperate, and indeed more willing to take part in strikes and protests. John Reed is the FT's Southeast Asia correspondent. Several board members of the Texas electric grid operator ERCOT have resigned this week amid mounting political and financial pressure. This after the power failures during the state's Arctic weather blast last week. Meanwhile, conservatives have pointed the finger at wind turbines. They're using the crisis to blast the Democrats' Green New Deal proposal. Here's Fox News. The blackouts that are in Texas are being made worse by the failure of wind turbines, many freezing in the icy weather, cutting output in half. And it's raising questions about the Lone Star State's increasing reliance on renewable energy. Fox Texas News. has become a massive producer of wind energy, but climatologist Michael Mann says the crisis has been distorted by politics. 
And so we've seen classic sort of new climate war messaging and rhetoric in response to the failure of the power grid. Mann is the director of the Earth System Science Center at Pennsylvania State University, and he was speaking on this week's episode of the FT's Rockman Review podcast. But the bottom line is their infrastructure in Texas failed for a number of reasons. It failed because they've chosen to remain isolated from the national electric grid because they want to avoid federal regulation. So there's no possibility of power electricity coming in from other parts of the state to fill the void if they lose theirs. They also uh, saw a failure in the distribution of their natural gas supplies. So they are largely dependent in their electricity sector on natural gas, on fossil fuels. And it turns out that renewable energy actually performed as expected. They met their commitment. Wind and solar continued to provide the expected power, but the fossil fuel part of the grid failed. You can hear the entire interview with Michael Mann on this week's Rockman Review podcast, which comes out on Thursdays. And before we go, a message from Under Armour. Game over. The sports gear company ended its sponsorship deals with many athletes, teams, and schools that once wore the Under Armour logo. Last year, the company slashed the amount it spent on sponsorship commitments by almost 50%. A regulatory filing shows that the company used the pandemic to invoke the force majeure clause and ended two big outfitting deals with the University of California schools. Those deals amounted to $360 million. Also this month, the company confirmed it would end its on-field licensing agreement with the National Football League. So no more UA logos during NFL games. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.